Uh, for those of you who I don't know yet, my name is Ryan, and I'm the college pastor here at Northway, and so I just want to welcome you who are worshiping here in this room, and then also for those of you who are joining us on Facebook Live as well. It's always a joy of mine to be able to come and to study God's Word with you. So when I was heading into college, heading into my freshman year, my buddy Seth and I were going to play football, and so they sent us summer workouts. And it was really a good setup for us because we've been best friends for years, and we both are about the same height, same weight, same strength, and we're both highly competitive. And so that led to some good workouts for us because we're always trying to outdo one another in our workouts. And I remember one specific day where we had gone through the workout and we'd gotten to the end and the last exercise was called the farmer's walk. And a farmer's walk is where you grab some sort of weight, usually dumbbells, and you would walk for a certain distance or a certain time. And, and so it came time for this and I don't remember exactly how it started, who started off, but one of us grabbed the dumbbells and did the walk like we were supposed to do and finished. And then when it came time for the other's turn, the other one didn't grab the same dumbbells. The other one grabbed heavier dumbbells. And so he tried to one up. And so thus started this intense competition. And so we would do the walk and Seth would come back and I would grab heavier dumbbells than him and then do the walk and then come back and then he would grab heavier ones than me and so on and so on and so on. And because that the lift doesn't involve you like actually picking it up, you just have to hold it, we used the heaviest dumbbells that were there. We had run out of dumbbells. And you would think the competition was over, right? Wrong. We're too stubborn for that. And so we went and we saw that we were out of dumbbells, so we found a weight vest. And we grabbed this weight vest and we put it on and did the walk. And the other one then said, oh, I can't be outdone. So he grabbed a weight vest plus another weight vest. And he wore two weight vests. And then three and then four, until so we ran out of weight vests. So we had run out of weights, we ran out of weight vests, and we looked absolutely ridiculous trying to walk, carrying all this weight and, and doing this exercise. And finally, we had to stop because there was nothing more we could do. Now, two things come to my mind when I think about this, this day. One is that youthful pride leads to hollow victories. I say that because one, we looked absolutely ridiculous carrying all that weight, we could barely walk. Two, it was so foolish. We, we really could have hurt ourselves. It was incredibly dangerous. And I don't even remember who won. I don't remember who won. Now, he's not here to defend himself. So as far as you're concerned, I won. And that's the end of the story. We'll settle it. But the second thing that comes to my mind, and it's an obvious truth, is it is hard to walk when you're weighed down with other things. It is hard to walk when you've got weight strapped down to you. And as you walk, with weight strapped down to you, you grow incredibly tired. You grow weary, you grow weak. Now, here's why I say that this morning. So many people walk through life with so much weight and so much burdens just weighing on their shoulders. They walk through life much like we were, just strapped down with so much weight and they found themselves completely weary and exhausted. And the the chances are that there are many of you who walked into this room this morning and you were weighed down by so many things. You feel the weight of so many different burdens on your shoulders and you find yourself just tired. You are weary and you're exhausted. And others of you, you might not feel this now, but you've felt this before. And you know that you're prone to feeling at different times, prone to carrying so many different burdens and you found yourself absolutely exhausted. My hope for us this morning 
is that we would hear the words of Jesus and we would be encouraged by his words. Because what Jesus is gonna say, is gonna say, hey, I'm gonna show you where you can find true rest. I'm gonna show you how you can take that burden off of your shoulders and feel a light yoke. And so that's where we're going this morning. What I wanna do for us is I want us to reread the verses that Pastor Stephen read, but we're gonna focus in on verses 28 through 30 in Matthew chapter 11. And I'm gonna read these verses for us. And then I'm gonna give us two uh, truths, two points that will build one big idea for us, one takeaway for us to hone in on this morning. So if you have your Bibles or if you have the YouVersion Bible app, um, you can get those out or it'll be on the screen as well. Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28, it says this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So starting off this morning, I want to give us, start with one truth, and the truth is, we are burdened and weary. We are burdened and weary. Again, we walk through life oftentimes carrying so many different weights, so many different burdens, and we find ourselves heavy, and it, it is hard for us to walk. If we find ourselves weary and tired and exhausted from these burdens that weigh us down. And so to understand these burdens, we first have to understand where they come from. Why these burdens are even there to begin with. Why the weight is there. We have to understand their origin. And to understand the origin of the burden, we have to go back to the very beginning. When God created all things, he created it good. That when he created the heavens, the earth, and he filled it with living creatures, all was good. When he created mankind, it was very good. Everything was as it should be. It was perfect. The Hebrew word that gets used a lot is the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom means peace. But it carries a bigger meaning than just peace. It's, it's peace, but it's also without fault, without fracture. It's whole, it's complete, it's as it should be, it's harmony. And that is what creation was. That when God created everything, there was a harmony among all living creatures. That between man and the earth, there was harmony. That there was actually work in the Garden of Eden, that they worked, but they worked from a place of abundance rather, from a rather than from a place of scarcity. They worked from flourishing. I heard a pastor describe it this way. He said, it's like kids on Halloween. They work to get their candy, but they don't really work. They ring a doorbell and say, trick or treat, and boom, there's candy. He said, that's the picture of work in the Garden of Eden. They worked and cultivated, but it was from a place of flourishing and abundance. It wasn't toilsome. It wasn't weary. There was harmony between man and the other living creatures. There's harmony between man and other men. That there's harmony ultimately between man and God. That everything was as it should be. There was shalom, there was peace. But it doesn't last. See, mankind rebelled against God. Mankind turned in sin and said, I want to be the, the ruler of my own life and rejected God. And in rejecting God and, and sinning against him, the shalom was broken. It was fractured. That, that it wasn't as it should be any longer. That the relationship was just broken. 
that the relationship between man and the ground was fractured. That yes, they worked, and yes, they worked to provide and to eat, but it wasn't from flourishing, it was from scarcity. It was toilsome and laborsome. That there was broken relationship between man and other creatures. That there's broken relationship between man and man, and ultimately, there's broken relationship between man and God. There is a fracture in the perfect shalom of Eden. It is broken and mankind is fallen. And to our core, we really get this. We understand our own brokenness. We understand because we look out at creation, we look out at at this earth and this life, and we see good things. We see beauty in creation. We see mankind doing good things. But we also see a lot of evil things as well. We see brokenness in creation. We see natural desire, disasters. And, and we see this brokenness and, and we know that this isn't how it's supposed to be. When, when we see egregious evil acts like what happened in Texas this past week, there's something within us that just screams and says, no, this isn't how it's supposed to be. This isn't right. This isn't how it's ought to be. See, we understand that this world is broken. And, and the brokenness comes from our sin against a holy God. And we spend our lives trying to get out of this brokenness. We spend our lives trying to get a path back to Eden, back to Shalom, back to as it should be, back to being right with God. We spend our lives running down different paths trying to fix things and get things back to the way that they were supposed to be. And it looks different for different people. There's different paths that we try to take out of our brokenness. For some, it's pleasure. It's saying, there's this thirst within me and I'm gonna to try to satisfy it by trying to just be happy. Eat, drink, and be merry. I'm gonna do whatever my eye sets out to do. I'm just gonna do it because that's how I'm gonna be satisfied. But what we find is at the end of the day that this happiness that we find is only temporary, that it doesn't satisfy us, that it's fleeting ultimately and we still are left thirsting for something greater. Another path people try to take is one of success saying, if I can just climb the corporate ladder, if I can just be successful at whatever I set out to do, that's what's gonna get me out of this brokenness. That's what's gonna satisfy that thirst within my heart. But what we find is ultimately at the top that there's nothing, that it's still empty and we're not satisfied. We're still left in our broken state. For others, it's seeking the approval of man. It's saying, I'm trying to get affirmation and love from other people. I'm going to try to be approved of by my parents, by my friends, by my coworkers. And if I can just get this, I'll be complete. I'll be made whole again. But what we find is at the end of the day that, that we'll never have everyone's approval. That there'll be always people who don't approve of us. And then the approval that we do have, we find it's not enough that it doesn't satisfy that thirst within our hearts. For other people, it's through trying to be good enough, do good things, be moral people, do religious acts. This was the path that the Pharisees take in Jesus' time. Later on in the book of Matthew, Jesus talks about these Pharisees. He talks about all these rules that they had, all these teachings that they had. And in this culture, it was called a yoke, actually. You know, a yoke is what they put on animals to pull a plow or a cart, but a yoke was also the teachings of religious leaders saying, hey, this is how you're supposed to live life. This is how you can 
how you can please God and be right with God. If you will just obey this yoke, if you obey these teachings, if you will live in this way. And Jesus says that these teachings, they, they come up with all these traditions, all these rules, and they place them on the people and it crushes the people underneath them. That the yoke is too heavy. And Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for it. He says, hey, this isn't right. This isn't how it, it works because what we understand is God's standard is perfection. And we are imperfect people. And so no matter how good we are, no matter how many good things we try to do, we're still broken and we still fall short. And so we're still left in our brokenness. Dr. George Robinson, he says it this way. He says, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is actually looking for God. That every person who drowns their sorrows with a bottle is actually looking for God. See, we've got a void in our hearts because of our brokenness. We've got this eternal void in our hearts and the only thing that can satisfy that void is God himself. And what we do is we spin our lives spinning our wheels trying to get out of our brokenness back to Eden, back to Shalom. We spin our wheels and we can't figure out how to get there. It reminds me of uh, when, when our dog Maggie is laying on like the tile or something and something falls and scares her and she jumps up and starts running but she can't get any traction because she's on the tile and she's not getting anywhere but she's going doing a lot of movement. That's us. We are in brokenness and we spend our lives just spinning our wheels trying to get out of that brokenness, but we're not getting any traction. We never end up anywhere and all that we end up doing is finding ourselves weary, exhausted, with a feeling of hopelessness. And so the question uh, comes is, is there a way out of this brokenness? Is there a path back to Eden? Is there a path back to Shalom? I'm here to tell you this morning the good news that there is a path, that there is a way and his name is Jesus. And Jesus' words should encourage us because he says, hey, come to me. Come to me and you will find rest for your soul. Come to me because my yoke, it's not, it's not gonna crush you. My, my burden isn't heavy. Come to me, my yoke is light. And so that brings us to our second point which completes our statement is we are burdened and weary, but Jesus' yoke is light. We are burdened and weary, but Jesus' yoke is light. See, Jesus, he says, hey, come to me. Why? Because I am gentle and lowly at heart. Come to me because I am gentle and lowly. That is the heartbeat of who Jesus is, is he is soft. He is warm. He is inviting. And I don't know what picture you had of Jesus when you came into this room this morning. I don't know if maybe for you, you saw him as, as frustrated and condemning or maybe just cold and distant. But we need to hear his words. He says, come to me because I'm gentle. I'm soft. I'm warm. I'm inviting. I'm standing with open arms to you. And we need to take him at his word. That is the very heartbeat. That is the very character of who Jesus is, is he is gentle and lowly at heart. Now, I want to be very clear here. We cannot equate his gentleness to passivity towards sin. Because just in a few verses after, or before this, in chapter 11 in Matthew, he's going to, going to look at all these cities where he's gone. He's done these miraculous works, all these miraculous works. He's proclaimed his message and yet the hearts of the people were unrepentant. They were hard. 
They, they didn't repent of their sins. They rejected Jesus. They rejected his message. They rejected his miracles. And his, his response to them was, woe to you. Be warned. He says in, in verse 11, 22, he says, it would be better on judgment day for Sodom than for you. Sodom in Genesis, in the book, Old Testament book of Genesis, was a very wicked city that was doing some really evil and egregious things, and their hearts were set in their wickedness. They wouldn't change at all. They wouldn't soften at all. They were unrepentant, and finally God brought just judgment on that city, and he rained fire and brimstone on them and, and wiped them away. And what he says here, he says, you people in these cities that I've performed these miracles in, that have preached my message, that have seen the Christ, yet have maintained hardness of hearts. He says, it'll be better on judgment day for Sodom than for you. See, our God is a just God, that he will punish evil and wickedness. And, and we want that from God. We don't want things like what happened in Texas to go unpunished. We don't want that to be swept under the rug. We want a God who will punish wickedness and evil. And so Jesus looks at wicked people with unrepentant hearts and says, woe to you. But then we, we feel like there's almost like a stark contrast here where he says, come to me because I'm gentle. How, how can Jesus, who is just, look at wicked and rightly say, hey, woe to you, judgment is coming, yet in the same breath look at wicked people who he should justly judge and say, hey, come to me, I'm gentle. How can this be? It's because of who he is. Jesus is the prince of peace, the prince of shalom. He says, anyone who wants to come to the Father comes through me. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. See, when we rebelled against God, when mankind rejected God, God didn't leave us in our rebellion. But in his great love and mercy, he made a way, and that way is Jesus. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, he was fully God and fully man, and yet he lived the perfect life that we could not live. He kept all of God's commands, and there at the end of his life, he's taken and he's put on a Roman cross to die. The death that he did not deserve, it was for the debt that we had incurred because of our sins. And on that cross, he who knew no sin became sin. It says he bore our sins on that cross, and God poured out his judgment his just wrath on his son Jesus who bore our sins. Our sins were punished on his cross. Our debt was paid on his cross and then Jesus died. And they took his lifeless body and they placed him in a tomb. And on the third day, God raised him in victory. And with his resurrection comes hope that for those who would turn from their sins, who would have repentant hearts and come to him, and submit themselves to his yoke, believing in who he is and what he did, believing it on a cognitive level, believing that he died on the cross, believing that God raised him from the dead, but believing it in their hearts, trusting it with their hearts, trusting that his sacrifice covers them, then their sins are forgiven. Their record is washed clean. That the sin, the brokenness that kept them far from God has been washed away so that they can be in right relationship with their maker once again. And there's a promise that, that though they die, yet they, shall they live. That we will dwell with him in eternity, forever and ever, back in Eden, back in shalom, in right relationship with our God. That's the hope of what Jesus did. 
And so Jesus says, hey, you who are wicked, come to me with a repentant heart. And I'm gentle and lowly. My yoke is easy. Now, the easy yoke does not equate to an easy life. He's not saying, come to me and you're never going to suffer anymore. Come to me and you'll never experience any heartache anymore. Come to me and you'll never experience any loss. You won't lose your job. Come to me and no one around you will get sick and die. Come to me and nothing bad happens to you. That's not what he's saying. The truth is we, no one makes it out of this life unscathed. We all suffer in different ways. But what an easy yoke means when we come to him is that though we walk through fiery trials of many kinds, though we suffer, though we experience pain and shed tears, we have a peace that surpasses all understanding. We have an immeasurable joy in our hearts. And it doesn't mean that we're not sad, but it means that deep within us, we have that joy resting in us. We trust and know that, that even when things are out of our control and we don't understand why they're happening, we trust and know that our God is sovereign and is in control of every situation and he is good and he is working it for our good. And so even in our tears, we can rest in him. And we trust and know that there will be a day and we cling through to that day where he will wipe away every tear and death shall be no more and pain shall be no more and suffering shall be no more and we will rest in his eternal rest forever and ever in right relationship with our maker. That is what it means to have an easy yoke. But the question then is, how is Jesus' yoke different from everyone else's? How is Jesus' yoke different from the yoke of the Pharisees? We said the yoke was their teachings and and their teachings crushed the people and we've already established that we can't keep the teachings of God, that we can't be fully obedient. In fact, our disobedience, our inability to keep his perfect standard is what led us into brokenness to begin with. So how is Jesus' yoke submitting to him and submitting to his teachings, how is that not the heaviest yoke of them all? How does it not just crush us underneath it? It's, it's helpful to understand the context of the yoke back in Jesus' time. See, oftentimes when they would have two animals that they would yoke together, they would have one that was strong, one that was older, more experienced, one that was bigger, and they would yoke it to one that was smaller, one that was weaker, one that was more inexperienced. And they would yoke this young one to the older one, this weak one to the, to the strong one, And what would happen is the strong one would bear the weight of the yoke. It would bear the weight of the yoke and the younger one would be tethered to it. And the older one who knew the voice of the master and knew the commands of the master would train and teach and strengthen the younger one to obey as they walked. See, the older one, the stronger one, the more experienced one bore the weight so that the younger one could learn how to follow and obey the master's voice. That's what Jesus is asking of us here. That's the yoke of Jesus. Jesus has saying, come under the yoke with me. See, we've already established that to have a right relationship with God, the standard is perfection. And that is a weighty standard, one that would crush any one of us. But Jesus lived perfectly on our behalf, that when we submit to him and our sins are crucified on his cross, his righteousness is imputed to us. It's given to us. 
So he has borne the weight of perfection, the weight of obedience, so that we don't have to bear that weight. And so he bears that weight. He bears that burden and says, hey, come under the yoke with me, and I'm going to teach you the master's voice. I'm going to teach you to obey. I'm going to help strengthen you in obedience as you come under my yoke. But I'm going to bear the weight so that you don't have to bear the crushing weight of having to be obedient. I think of when a few weeks ago we were out in the yard playing with our nephews and niece and my nephew Hudson hit a ball and it was a foul ball, went on top of the roof and we're like, oh, come off, come off. Nope, into the gutter. And so our game was over. But good old Pop came to the rescue, as all good Pops do, and he brought his ladder out there, and he got up there, and we got the tennis ball off the, out of the gutter so we could keep on playing. And I offered to take his ladder back for him, and this ladder was, it was massive. It was a really big ladder. And so I was taking it back for him, and my little niece, Max, she's six years old, she came up, she said, I want to carry it. And I was like, okay. Now, she couldn't carry it. She's tiny, and this thing is, is massive, but I said, all right, come on. And so I had the ladder, and I set it down, and when she wrapped up around, she lifted really hard, I picked it up for her, and we started to walk. And she was trying with all her might, but she wasn't adding anything to it. It was all me carrying that weight for her. And at one point, she recognized it, and she said, hey, I want to do this by myself. And I was like, you can't do this. She said, no, no, I want to carry it myself. She was insistent. So I was like, okay. I set it down, and her mom said, sweetie, that thing weighs more than you do. You can't carry that, but you can't defy Max. Max got up. She bear hugged it. She lifted with all her might, and it didn't budge at all. She couldn't lift it. Why? Because I was the one doing the carrying it. I said, yeah, you can carry it, but the only way she could carry it is because I carried it for her and let her come underneath it. That's the picture of what Jesus does. We can't be perfect, and so he was perfect on our behalf He says, hey, walk alongside me. I think of uh, playing golf. I don't know if any of you are golfers, but there's something called a scramble in golf. And scramble is essentially team golf. And usually there's four people, and the way it works is all four will hit a shot, and whoever has the best shot, you will use their shot. So if four people walk up, and three of them hit it into the woods, and one of them hit it in the fairway, you all get to play from the fairway. It's a great deal. It's a great setup. And a few months ago, I had the opportunity to play in a scramble with our coffee shop manager, Jacob. And what you need to know about me is I am terrible at golf. I try really hard. I've been playing for a little while now, and I think I'm getting better. And I just kind of comfort myself by saying everyone's terrible at golf, but I'm not great. But Jacob, however, is incredible at golf, which is why he got the invite to come play with us. He's incredible at golf. And so we show up to the scramble, and Jacob, pretty much every shot, would just crush it. It'd be right where the ball needed to be. It'd be perfectly in position. He would destroy the ball. It would be incredible. And so then when it came my turn, what that gave me the opportunity to do was to swing freely. I didn't have to take some off the shot, just hope to try to get it somewhat playable. I could swing as hard as I wanted to. I could aim for the most perfect shot. Why? Because Jacob's ball is already out there. So if I walked up and I crushed it and it landed next to Jacob's ball, which didn't really happen that often. But if it did, great, we've got, we've got a ball in play. And if I walked up and crushed it and it sliced into the woods, into the neighborhood and crushed a house, which I don't think I hit a house that round, but if you live in Barrington Hall, I'm just gonna go ahead and apologize in advance for any balls that might end up in your yard. It wasn't me. But if I crush it off and completely miss, guess what? We're still right. Why? because his shot made mine right. 
That's the picture of what Jesus does for us. That he has lived perfectly on our behalf so that we can then pursue righteousness. We can pursue obedience without bearing the weight of that obedience, knowing that even when we fall short, when God looks at us, he doesn't see a sinner deserving of his wrath. He sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus. And that is a freeing thought that we get to pursue him. Now, this isn't a license to sin. This isn't a, oh, well, I can do whatever I want then because it's forgiven. No, because when you come under the yoke of Christ and trust him with your salvation, when he takes your burdens off your shoulders, the Bible teaches that our heart of stone gets, begins to get shaped and changed. Our heart of stone begins to be conformed and molded and match the heart of Jesus. And so what happens is our desires begin to change. Where in our old life, we used to sin and not think twice about it. Now, sin doesn't sit well with us. In fact, sin begins over time to, to be distasteful to us. And the commands of God were at once, we, we didn't really want those. Now, we find ourselves yearning for them because we see the life that comes from them. So he gives us a new heart. Dane Ortland says in Gentle and Lowly in his book, he says, the commands of God, the yoke of Christ for the believer is what helium is to the balloon. That his commands, they're not burdensome. They're not, hey, do this so that you can be right with God. It's no, you're right with God. And so follow these commands because my commands are life-giving. My commands are freeing. My yoke is light. And so for, for you in here who are followers of Jesus, this is where it gets intensely practical for us. We submit ultimately to his yoke and trust him ultimately for salvation. And then we walk with him daily. That when we come under the yoke of Christ, we lay down our burdens and trust him to satisfy our hearts and to bring rest for our souls and to wash away our sins. When we do that, it's ultimate. That Romans 8 says there's nothing that can snatch us from his hands, that we can't even sin our way out of his hands. We are in right standing with God and we will dwell with him forever is an ultimate thing. But it's also a daily thing. That, that we walk with him, we learn the commands of the master and we start walking in obedience. It's daily saying, I'm gonna submit to the yoke of Christ. I'm gonna submit to his teachings. I'm gonna trust him and his design for life and how we're supposed to live. I'm gonna trust his way over my way. I'm gonna rest under his light yoke. But, so yes, it's ultimate, but it's also a daily thing. And, and I, I, I would say that if you don't find yourself walking daily with him, then you might not have submitted ultimately to him. Because when you submit ultimately to him and your eternity is changed, your heart begins to be changed and you will walk with him daily. Now, this doesn't mean you're perfect. None of us are, not in this life. In fact, we, we find ourselves in our heart, it's prone to wander. We're prone to, to go back to our old way of life. We're prone to, to experience hard situations and say, oh, I've got to control it and, and to take our eyes off the path and say, I've got to do, I've got to make things right. I've got to hold on to things myself. I've got to make this work for myself and we fail to trust the sovereignty of God. Or we, we say, God, I know your design is for this and this is where I'm going to be satisfied, but I'm going to do my own thing because I think this is going to satisfy my heart. I'm going to chase this pleasure. 
or we say, God, I know that I'm already approved in you and I don't have to seek affirmation from anyone else, but I'm gonna seek the approval of this person or these people. We say, God, I know that my measure of success is by what you did on the cross, but I really think I need to do this. This has to be what defines me and where I'm gonna find satisfaction. We're, we're prone to wander. We're prone to take our eyes off the cross. We're prone to, to try to earn salvation and earn right standing with God. And so we must daily remind ourselves to come under the yoke of Christ. Christian, you do not have to bear the weight of burdens any longer. You do not have to carry that load any longer. We are called to come and lay them at the feet of Jesus. We're called to trust him ultimately and to trust him daily. And so my question for you is, what burdens are you trying to carry this morning? Where are you trying to do it yourself? Where are you failing to trust his design? Take those and lay them at his feet and say, God, I don't understand it all. I don't know how this is all gonna work out, but I trust you. God, this is hard. I'm walking through some intense trials and I am suffering, but I trust you with this. Find rest under the yoke of Christ because that is the only place where you will find rest. And just wrapping things up there, there may be some of you in here who you are still in your brokenness. You've never submitted yourself to the yoke of Christ and found true rest for your soul. You have been striving and striving and striving to get out of this brokenness. You've been trying to get back to Shalom, back to Eden. You've been working and working and laboring and laboring and you've come to the end of yourself and you find yourself just weary and exhausted. I hope that you'll find comfort in the words of Jesus and you'll take him at his word when he says, hey, you weary sinner, come to me. I am gentle. In me, you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, trust in my sacrifice for salvation. Have your sins forgiven forever and have the promise and the hope that you will dwell with me forever and ever. Come to me, weary sinner.